Welcome everyone to episode 179 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Liam Toha as we recap Liverpool's 1-1 draw with Arsenal. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So the hotly anticipated showdown at the top of the Premier League just before Christmas, Liverpool versus Arsenal. Finishes in a draw, probably not too many people surprised by that outcome overall. Um, Gabriel gave Arsenal the lead and their lead again in this fixture, much like they had in April. Um, four minutes in this time with a header from a set piece, but brilliant goal from Mohamed Salah just before the half hour mark levels it up. And that is how it finished. Both teams had chances in the in the remainder of the game. We'll get into certainly Liverpool's um, side of that story a little bit later in the podcast, but it is a draw. Liverpool will go into Christmas. A point off the top of the Premier League um, level, actually, with Aston Villa, who obviously had that draw against Sheffield United on Friday. So, not a three points today, but still a strong position to be in, obviously, um, heading into the festivities. So, um, three-head match reviews will be our usual starting point. Um, Liam, both Mikel Arteta and Jürgen Klopp have seen a clip of them speaking after the game. You know, they were sort of, you know, sighing, saying, you know, what an unbelievable match that was. Obviously, they've lived it all from the touchline. Did you see that as, as you know, certainly one of the best games of football we've seen in the Premier League this season? Yep, absolutely up there, Dave. I mean, you you can see why um, these two are, are first and second in the Premier League with, uh, you know, with just the intensity, the quality that was on show. Um, same result as that Sunday, but chalk and cheese in terms of what it was like as a spectacle. Um, and it wasn't just down to the opposition. I thought myself Liverpool were far more composed and energetic tonight in comparison to the Man United game last weekend. Um, Three-word match review, what could have been? And I think it doesn't take a, a master sleuth to guess that I'm referring to probably two incidents in particular, one and either half. The, one of those being that I'm sure we'll get to it um, and on is the Odegaard handball and the other, again, you can probably guess was Trent hitting the crossbar from the, the counter-attack. Um, overall, pleased with the results. I felt it was probably a fair reflection of the of the 90 minutes as a whole. Um, and again, as you, as you rightly say, it's, it still leaves us in a decent position um, going, going into uh, coming, coming into Christmas and, and New Year, um, where at the same time there there will be definitely one or two bits of what might have been for for, for our side of it, of it anyway. Yeah, and obviously just to clarify for the listeners, that's what could have been, not what what could have been. Um, yeah. for, the, for the three words, um, but mine mine is actually along similar notes. I'll, I'll come to that in a second. Um, I've gone, you know. I sort of agree with you, to be fair, Liam, in terms of the fact that it was an even game. I mean, the stats really backed that up. XG, 0.95 Liverpool, 0.8 for Arsenal. Basically, same difference there. 51 versus 49 on the possession. Both had 13 shots. Liverpool, three on target. Arsenal, two on target. I mean, that kind of tells a very similar story to what you saw with your eyes watching it, I think. Um, In terms of the actual game and the spectacle, I think maybe quality-wise, it didn't sort of have it for the entire game. There were spells where it was maybe a little bit sort of um, 
not scrappy per se, but both teams were sort of getting into good positions and then, and then wasting things. You know, they weren't maybe putting that final piece together. But I think the word Mikel Arteta used was intensity. He said it was one of the most intense games he's seen at Anfield. And I think, I think that was a, you know, it was an exhausting game to watch. Imagine what it was like to sort of play it yeah. um, from that perspective. So I think that's kind of what defined this fixture and what made it so compelling. And it's sort of rare that I'd watch a Liverpool game and be able to sort of recognise whether it's sort of a really good game or a boring game because I'm sort of so kind of obviously obsessed with what the result's going to be that you kind of lose sight of that sort of spectacle element. But in this one, it kind of shone through, um, certainly in the first half in particular. Um, And yeah, no real complaints about the sort of final outcome. I don't think my three words are so, so close in reference to that Trent Alexander-Arnold chance. Um, We'll deal with that first and we'll touch on that um, handball controversy. Uh, Do you sort of look back on that a bit ruefully? Liam, I mean, obviously, you know, the ball sort of bounces up a little bit um, because it's difficult, isn't it? You know, we're sitting here saying, do you know what? It was an even game, pretty 50-50 game. It draws a fair result, but obviously there's a glorious chance in there for Liverpool to come away with three points as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, uh, funny enough, even from, as even as I was watching the build-up, as I was watching Salah break through and I was watching the 5-1, and one, I had a horrible feeling that somehow we were contrived to mess it up. And ultimately, that is what happened. Um, as you say, look, I didn't notice it until afterwards about the ball bouncing up and trying maybe not quite getting the, the contact that, that, that he would have liked. But nonetheless, though, I mean, it was only those that I think I had, my, I had my hands in my head like that for a good solid minute afterwards. Because I was like, Oh my god, did that actually just happen? But again, it's one of those that you think if an Ernie Haaland is going through, if that body fell to Salah and it was maybe Trent who played the pass into him, you're probably sitting there thinking we've we've gone a one two one and made and made a huge statement of intent. Obviously that sounds very simplistic, but I think it's impossible not to look back at that and think or what, what could have been if if only we just showed that little bit more composure in that in that moment and um and, and taking the most of the chance. I will counteract that by saying that Arsenal had a very good chance of their own uh, coming up to half time. Not quite as clear cut as the one we had from the counter attack, but again that's probably one that Arsenal fans will, will look back on and think, oh, if only they could have got that one shortly before the interview would the game have turned out differently. So I think that again ties into um, what we've been saying about it being an even an even contest between between the two teams, but from from a Liverpool perspective, definitely a sense of regret for not making the most of that chance. Yeah, obviously referring to the the chance where Martinelli puts the ball um, just past the post with with Allison at his feet and a couple of players on the line, and um, which I thought he was, he was saying to score from. Um, I'm kind of split on this one. Um, I think. Just as you were talking earlier, I remember the fact that, you know, we're talking about sort of the, the ball bouncing a little bit. Um, obviously, Trent, when he scored that goal against Fulham, showed that, you know, he's got the technique to very much get his foot like over, his knee over the ball in that scenario um, and keep it down. So, you'd expect better. And 
you got to be wary of double standards, I suppose, because, you know, if that's Darwin Nunez missing that, then obviously there's murder. But the fact that mm-hmm. it's Trent, um, a bit more sympathy. But what I would also say is, you know, he, without his moments of quality in that pass to Salah um, in uh, in the first half, for, obviously for Salah's goal, then Liverpool wouldn't have been level anyway, I don't think, because, again, it was a much better performance than against Manchester United, against a much better team. But I think there was a lot of moments where things were breaking down for Liverpool in the final third and they were lacking that quality, whereas Trent kind of provided that moment with the pass um, to Salah. So I do think that, it, you know, you can't necessarily be too harsh on him individually um, from that standpoint, to be fair. Um, the one thing I would say is, like, it's difficult because the title race is often determined by moments and sometimes the biggest games aren't won by the team who necessarily deserves deserves to win. Maybe a draw or even a result the other way is the fairest result, but the big moments go their way. You know, they capitalise and, you know, there's been plenty of moments this season where you'd say, you know what, that is a big moment for the Bullards to win the Premier League. We'll look back on that, but maybe if they just miss out, uh, whether it is to Arsenal or, or to Manchester City, um, then maybe that's one that you look back on as well. We don't obviously know at this stage, but it's hard to kind of gauge the significance, obviously, in the moment, but kind of immediately afterwards, you do have this sense that it was, um, like, like we said, a big missed opportunity in, in more ways than one. So difficult to to fully assess that one, but um, it's definitely mixed emotions um, on that basis. I think without that chance, we'd sort of all have to just say, Do you know what, take the point. Um, but it kind of complicates the narrative a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the sort of standout Liverpool individuals beyond... Trent, but before that, we will touch on that handball decision um, for Odegaard. I mean, did you see that as a clear stonewall penalty, Liam? How could you not? Like, when I heard Gary Neville trying to make excuses for him by saying, oh, he was off balance and and, and, that, and that, so that sort of affects the movement of his arm and all this sort of, and then PGML MOL coming out, saying it was, he's moving down towards his body rather than the ball. I'm just sitting there taking lads. Do, like, do we? Do you think we came down from the last shower? There been one replay was enough you know, to see that he so clearly moves his arm towards the ball. Like, I could well, again. I'm not entirely sure what Chris Cavanaugh's viewpoint was in it in real time, but how VAR could look at that and get the chance to look at it and decide does that enough and that to especially when we look at him intervening for some of the nonsensical stuff that we have over the course of the season. Like, even in this game, like, Gabriel's goal and the VAR check on that, which was far more substantial than the one for the Odegaard handball. Like, even the most ardent Liverpool fan would look at that goal and think there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It didn't warrant the lengthy review that which, which ensued. And, um, so for them to spend so long looking at that and then to just bat aside what was a decision that if, if you were blindfolded, you could still see that it was a bloody handball. Like it's... If I, like Jorgen Klopp gave us two cents afterwards and if I, I think he showed restraint. Um, if we're looking for pretty much a conclusive verdict on how <clears throat> obvious the handball it was, William Saliba admitted afterwards that Arsenal got away at one. 
hugely admire him for, for his honesty and he had a magnificent game in fairness to him. Like when he's coming out and saying Arsenal got away at one, I think that tells you all you need to know. I think there will be sort of, I mean, we, we know for a fact that there has been already. I think there'll be sort of bigger refereeing controversies if they're on the end of this season. I wasn't sort of, you know, I fully take the points that you're making, Liam. I wasn't kind of incensed watching it, just on the basis that I generally think that when a player is sort of off balance for the most part, it doesn't normally look like that, but for the most part, they don't give the penalties. So I think whether you think it is one or not, or it should be one, I think it is broadly what we've seen in a lot of games. I mean, for the most part, that tends to be when a player's fallen over and he puts his arm on the ground and then it hits it. As opposed to what we saw with Odegaard, where the you know his, his arm was in the air, so this one does look a little bit worse. Um, like I say, I'm not sort of incandescent over it or anything like that. Um, he's got to hope that it's one of those that kind of comes back for you. I suppose if it is uh, one that, that Liverpool should have been given, but I haven't actually seen you know what Saliba said certainly. So if, if he has said that, then that's obviously pretty damning from from the Arsenal standpoint. But um, to to move it on to the you know, positives and Liverpool's best players. I mean, I want to start before I look at, um, you know, Salah, the goal scorer, anything like that, with, with Endo actually, um, you know, continuing his run in the side. Uh, probably the biggest test he's faced so far as a Liverpool player, you know, with McAllister being injured. And he was absolutely outstanding, wasn't he, Liam? Yep. Um, very much so. I think it's one that you maybe don't notice him as, Fighting the north of a whole lot during the game, but like when I was reflecting on it afterwards, um, and I saw like his stats, um, yeah, you know, it, it definitely kind of reinforced the view that he was he's definitely week by week he has grown into that um CDM role, um, particularly in the like we were nervous, but might be nervous about him stepping up in, in McAllister's absence, but like we can see now over the last month or so how he has very much settled into this Liverpool side and I think he his performances have pretty much killed any notion of Liverpool needing to buy a, a specialist number six in January um, especially when I think other positions are going to take far greater priority considering the makeup of the squad and who is available at the, at the moment and going into the new year um, but yeah Endo very tidy in possession I think he had like 92% of his Passing act success, um, and was the six duels won, and even I remember a couple of instances in the game where, like he, tormented Bukayo Saka, like I can definitely remember two or three where like Saka was on the ball and thought he was off in his merry way, and this thing end up that comes in a perfectly timed challenge or a little bit of a shoulder to kind of say yeah, I I'm here now so yeah good luck with that um. Very impressed with him, and for all the talk that that the rightfully is about how much big of a miss Mo Salah will be when he goes to the African Cup of Nations next month, Endo is also going to be quite a miss when he goes off to the Asian Cup with Japan, which is happening more or less simultaneously with with Afcon. Um, like luckily we should have McAllister back by then, and um, maybe Tiago, but as we know, there's, there's no certainty with that one whatsoever. Um, but <clears throat> aside from that, yeah, Endo will be will be missed when he goes in January. Um, others want to give give a shout out to. Um, I thought the two centre backs were were very solid. Like Kanate, like on the goal on Arsenal's goal, 
so early on when he kind of gives the foul away and then loses Gabriel for the header. I start thinking, oh dear, is it going to be one of those, one of those days for him? Well, my fear was very much premature because he was a colossus at the back there tonight. Like the the headers he won, the, the jewels he won, um, the two hugely important tackles that he got in 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 either half. Um, yeah, he was magnificent. Van Dyke rocks on it as ever. Um, I think we can pretty much take it as as given that they're, they're going to be starting against Burnley on Tuesday. Yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> You know, Liverpool, a little bit sort of limited options wise in that area as well. I mean, I think I think I, I think I put on Twitter was that I honestly think that if Prime Fabinho had played like Endo did today, then you'd have been proud of that performance. I think everybody would be would be raving about it. I think you know, obviously Liverpool fans will be, but whether that gets sort of the recognition it deserves beyond Anfield, I'm not sure. But um, you know, it, it did not look anything like a sort of thirty year old um mm. player we'd signed for about 15 million um, from sort of obscurity, really, in German football. Um, and, you know, he was, he played like he was sort of three, four times that price tag today, honestly. Um, and, and, you know, you've, I think he has been impressive recently. He's been, he's been quite good on the whole for Liverpool and hopefully he can kind of carry that on um, up until obviously he goes to the Asian Cup and then, and then afterwards as well, um, because it, it's looking like a, a decent buy for Liverpool up to this point. And today was 100% his best game without any doubt. In terms of, you know, whether Liverpool need anyone else, I think maybe discussions to be had in terms of like, is there the sort of enough control within matches and things like that and and, and dominance and, and shutting down the opposition? Um, is that maybe his strong suit? Is that something where Thiago, if he can play, where he really excels? But... Um, I think that there is maybe a conversation to be had there, but individually, I don't think you could really have asked any more from Endo up to this point or expected any more, um, given the sort of circumstances of that transfer. Um, and as for Canate, I think he would also be up there as, as certainly the first or second best player for Liverpool today. Um, I think the best moment for me was when Martinelli looks like he's passed him. I think Peter Drury in commentary said that he, he'd beaten Canate, but then he gets back. And you just never believe that he'd lost that duel because he is so quick and, and strong and times his tackle so well. And I just think it's so hard to beat him 1v1. You never think that he is going to lose out in those situations. Um, and, you know, he, he is just one of the world's best in the making, to be honest. And um, that wasn't the only good moments as well. I mean, there was two sort of thunderous long-range shots from Arsenal in the second half in very quick succession. One from Zinchenko, which he caught like a rocket sort of um, Wanyama vibes um, for that one. And then Declan Rice moments later also cracked one and, and Canate was in the way of both of them. So it, it had everything really in terms of like the sort of astute moments of defending and then also the ones where you've got to put your body on the line. And um, I thought he was fantastic as well. Um the other one to mention, obviously, is Mo Salah. Probably didn't have sort of the best game as a whole, but that goal, I mean, that's that's one of the best he scored this season, isn't it, Liam? Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, they, I think Sky Sports' commentary described it as explosive, and like that is probably the best word for it. Um, like, I think we were probably still gasping in awe at the pass that Trent played to him um, just before that. 
when next thing we see him making probably appropriately for this time of year a turkey out of Boris Anders and Jenko and then lashing the ball past past David Raya. Um it's it, it's like a throwback to remember the goal he got in the Mersey Derby in his first season with us. Um the ability to one like the one against Spurs that same season, the one against Man City when the sat down a couple of their defenders in, in 21 like that started cutting in um, and as I say making fools of, of the defenders and just finishing so emphatically those are the moments which kind of shows to us why he is he is long since met in his place as a club legend and again I'm going to say it the, pa- like the pass from Trent that's why you pay the money to, to come and watch player, players like that I mean must have been 60 or 70 yards that pass and it was just so pinpoint like talk about get, like getting it in the exact into kind of position that Sadler would have wanted it yeah it was absolutely mar- marvellous goal from two marvellous players yeah um, I forgot to mention before actually that I think that Trent is probably Liverpool's best player currently on form um, since that uh, that City game he's got uh two goals and five assists in eight matches, you know, the the output has really sort of rocketed um, and the performance levels are there too. This was why we were so excited about watching Trent this season in this new role. Um, we've really sort of seen it um, in, in the past few games, sort of what he can be. And hopefully we carry on seeing it because he'll win Liverpool plenty of games um, with that. And just a thing on Salah as well. I, I just want to just briefly mention some stats about his big game record. First player in Premier League history to score double figures against Arsenal, City and Manchester United. Um, he's got 51 goals against the big six now in all competitions. That's three more than anybody else. Um, I think Jamie Vardy's second for that. At four of his top five favourite opponents by goal volume are teams in the big six. So that's United, City, Spurs and Arsenal with West Ham. The odd one out and now he scored against them last week. And also another stat um, on the side is that He's now got the most Premier League goal involvement at Anfield. I think it's 121 in 120 games, which is obviously absurd to overtaking Steven Gerrard in that leaderboard. Um, and he's now got more goals for Liverpool than Alan Shearer got for Newcastle. I mean, the stats just get better all the time. That's the thing. I mean, he's always been breaking records, but the, he's at this sort of stage of his career now where he's built up the back catalogue that some of the names he's involved with and, and the fact that he's just sort of out on his own now. I mean... You cannot take it for granted, which is why I think it's good to mention it. Um, just before we move on to sort of our last discussion point today, obviously Liverpool with a couple of injury concerns today. Looks like Costas Simakas may have broken his collarbone, um, which obviously is a double issue for Liverpool in the sense that Robertson is still out. You know, you're then relying on Gomez for those minutes. What does that mean in the transfer market? It's obviously a good discussion there. Um, obviously, we'll wait for the... Um, what's it called? We'll wait for the sort of final prognosis on that and then Luis Diaz going off as well Um, not quite sure what happened there or how serious that is so potentially a bit of a bruising one for Liverpool numbers falling a little bit obviously in this quite brutal period so we're going to need some better news on the injury front soon but we'll uh, very much keep it, keep our eye out for what's happening with those but yeah Liam just before we finish today I wanted to look at Liverpool's record in the big games this season Um, just before we came on I tweeted that Liverpool have now gone uh, 31 games in front of fans <clears throat> without losing to a, a big six team at home in the in the Premier League. Not since Klopp's first season. Obviously, there was the one against, I think it was Man City behind closed doors, but you know, there's no sort of you lose your home advantage there. So 
that's an incredible record which they've kept alive. But having played all of the big six teams up to this point in the Premier League, they haven't managed to beat any of them. Um, four draws and one defeat, obviously against Tottenham, and we all know what happened there. But is it a concern that they've not been able to pick up that kind of maybe sort of Newcastle aside, that big sort of statement win in the Premier League up to this point? Yeah, because I think we've seen it in the other years where we were buying with Man City for the title that even though we lost fewer games than City in those seasons, ultimately it was the draw count which which cost us for a finish. Um, as I said, I think it's, it's a curious one because you look at those individual fixtures and you think, you know, away to Man City, you know, at home to Arsenal, um, in, two of them in particular, and maybe to a lesser extent to Chelsea and Man United games, like obviously you can know that the two of those are nowhere near sort of the, the standards that we've had in previous seasons against them. But in those those fixtures in isolation, you wouldn't say a draw, like a draw is a terrible result. But at the same time, you look at, like Arsenal had beaten Man City this season. Um, Aston Villa had beaten both Arsenal and Manchester City. Like City won both games against Arsenal last term. So, yeah, I think if we are to win the couple of those in the in the reverse fixtures. And so it's are we looking at we're looking at Man City at Anfield, Spurs at Anfield and Chelsea and going away to Man United and Arsenal. Like you're probably looking at needing to win the three home games and you, know, you take a draw against Arsenal and just depending on what move Man United are in by the time you get around to playing them at Old Trafford, you're kinda of thinking would a draw there actually be a good result? Um, but yeah, I, I totally take your point. That, I mean, it's all well and good not losing against these teams, but ultimately I think it's the ability to mm. land a couple of direct blows which is going to determine whether we're kind of contenders or champions this season. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think every time you come out of, of one of those games, probably with the exception of... Um... Manchester United last week, you've thought, you know, that's a decent point, you know, you take it, but I think you're right to say at the end there that you can't just have the, the points aren't all decent if that's what you get and, you know, you need these kind of big wins in these games because I think obviously there's the fact that, you know, you just can't afford to drop too many points, obviously, but also going up against direct competitors and the chance to, you know, the value of being able to take three points off them um, in, in those games. I think it's obviously, like you say, something that's cost Liverpool in previous seasons. So we'll see. I mean, it's not long before they actually go to the the Emirates. Um, that one is 4th of February. Um, they also play Chelsea at the end of uh, January as well, I think, or, or just the start of February. So um, that's when they'll have a chance to put that record right. Um, and we'll see if Mohamed Salah is obviously available for those games. Depends on how well he do at AFCON. But yeah, we'll leave it there for today's podcast. Thanks for joining me, Liam. And thanks very much everyone for listening if you've enjoyed it please give us a five star review um also remember to follow the podcast and press the notification button as well so you get a message when we post new episodes the links to mine and liam's twitter and our email address are in the episode description so make sure you look at those and yeah um, we'll be back after the game against burnley um which is obviously on boxing day 
and Liverpool have a chance to return to winning ways after a couple of draws in the Premier League. But yeah, until then, enjoy your Christmas, everyone, and we will see you afterwards for that Burnley match reaction.